the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, Clark Hilton Engineering, Dan Rice. Well, he's given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. Today in the second hour, we're going to share the Christian outlook. We'll hear from Gino Geraci. He turns to Doug Grutheis, philosophy professor at Denver Seminary, to examine the Marxist ideology as the foundation of the critical race theory that's being promulgated across the country. You'll also hear my conversation with Mark E. Moore about his book, Core 52 Student Edition, and from Dr. Albert Moeller, talking with uh, Carl Truman about what it means to be human, male, and female from his book, The Rise and Triumph, of the modern self. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. This first hour, we'll take a look at some of the day's headlines. And in the second half of this first hour, I hope you can follow all of that. We'll take a look at the lighter side of the news and James Blend will join me. First, the governor has provided new details on how Oregon's going to reopen once the state reaches 70% vaccination. Well, as of June the 3rd, the state has vaccinated 66.2% of its residents, 18 and older. To reach 70%, about 127,000 more people here need to get the first dose of COVID-19. Well, the governor released more details today about how the state's going to reopen once that 70% threshold of Oregonians has been reached. Well, the state's getting closer to that benchmark, having vaccinated 66.2% of residents, and we're talking about 18 and older as of Thursday to reach that uh, that threshold, about 127,000 remaining. Well, the number of Oregonians getting a COVID-19 shot every day has declined over the past couple of weeks. The number decreased from more than 20,000 a day in mid-May to about 12,000 per day, uh, where it uh, hovered for a bit, but the numbers have gone down even more in the past few days. On the first First of this month, only 4,885 people got a first dose. But once the state reaches that 70% mark, the governor says she's going to lift most state restrictions and shift to pandemic recovery. On Friday, she outlined the specific steps. All county-based metrics and health and safety restrictions will be lifted, including masks, physical distancing, and capacity limit requirements. The state won't require masks and face coverings in almost all settings, with some exceptions based on federal guidance like airports, public transit, and uh, healthcare um, settings. Vaccine verification will not, not be necessary because the same mask and social distancing rules will apply to all people, vaccinated or not. And the state will continue to strongly recommend that unvaccinated people and other vulnerable people continue to wear masks and practice other health and safety measures to stay safe from COVID-19, although apparently it's not required. Uh, the governor emphasized the importance of receiving the vaccine, saying this has uh, really become a tale of two pandemics. If you are vaccinated, then you're safe. You can uh, carry on safely without wearing a mask and social distancing. If you are not vaccinated, this virus still poses a very real threat. So that's the governor's latest word delivered earlier today. Well, the U.S. added 559,000 jobs in May. That fell short of expectations for the second consecutive month. U.S. employers added the uh, number of jobs 
falling short of expectations. Uh, and while the, the figure is lower than the 650,000 jobs added that uh, experts had predicted, the unemployment rate fell to 5.8 percent. It's the lowest level since the start of COVID-19, the pandemic, last year. The unemployment rate marks a 0.3% point drop from one month prior. Well, the increase was a major improvement from uh, the revised 278,000 jobs added in April. The original figure, 266,000 jobs added, was the biggest miss virus, uh, rather biggest miss versus expectations since um, uh, this whole thing started. Well, the state of California has agreed not to impose greater coronavirus restrictions on church gatherings than it does on retail establishments and a pair of settlements that provide more than $2 million in fees to lawyers who challenge the rules as a violation of religious freedom. A deal approved on Tuesday by a federal judge comes after lawyers from San Diego, a Pentecostal church, took their challenge against the state to the U.S. Supreme Court three times and won. The settlement includes a permanent injunction in line with Supreme Court rulings that found restrictions on houses of worship cannot exceed those on retail businesses, according to Paul Jana, the attorney. If they're going to restrict Costco to 50%, then they can do the same thing to churches, Jana said. But what they are doing before, what they were doing, as you may remember, is they were keeping those places open and they were shutting down churches, at least in California, completely. Well, the settlement has little practical impact after the Supreme Court ruling led to uh, the state in April to lift limits on indoor worship as the state uh, case um, rate of COVID-19 has plummeted since a deadly winter surge in vaccination uh, rates uh, rose. Governor Gavin Newsom is poised to lift all restrictions on the 15th of June. Newsom's office issued a statement saying he put the health of Californians first when he imposed closure orders. The Supreme Court begged to differ with regard to how they chose to do it. Meanwhile, Facebook has announced that it would uphold its ban against former President Donald Trump, imposed shortly after the January 6th Capitol riot for two years until at least January of 2023. Well, given the gravity of the circumstances that led to Mr. Trump's suspension, Facebook is suspending his accounts for two years, effective from the date of the initial suspension on the 7th of January this year. The company said in a statement, according to CNN's Brian Stett, Well, at the end of this period, if we determine that there is still a serious risk to public safety, and of course there's uh, the midterm elections and the presidential election to consider, I added that part, we will extend the restrictions for a set period of time and continue to reevaluate until that risk has receded. Once the suspension is lifted, there will be a strict set of rapid escalating sanctions that will be triggered if Mr. Trump commits further violations in the future, up to and including permanent removal of his page and accounts, the statement added. Hmm. Well, House Bill 3088 in the Oregon legislature would repeal the laws of prostitution, promoting prostitution and commercial sexual exploitation and solicitation. State Representative Rob Noose, a Democrat right uh, from Portland, is sponsoring the bill. He's a member of the Oregon Sex Workers Human Rights Commission, which will hold a public hearing in July on decriminalizing sex work in Oregon. Well, after the hearing on Thursday, supporters held a news conference to further the conversation. Barbara Brents, a sociology professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, talked about human trafficking and how decriminalizing sex work could help. Forced coercion 
Uh, Sex trafficking is relatively rare, but it's bad when it happens, Brent said. But the evidence is really clear that arresting sex workers or their clients does not help. In fact, it increases risk and it pushes may push sex workers by choice into a trafficking situation. Oregon's 2021 legislative session ends in late June, so there's likely no time for the bill to be considered by the full legislature. However, supporters say they were grateful to begin the conversation in the state of Oregon. Well, Oregon Senate passed a bill allowing college athletes to earn compensation. Jaden Grant's move on the football field have undoubtedly made Oregon, uh, Oregon State University some money. Now those same moves uh, could put some cash in Grant's pocket. This is a win for all student athletes, Grant says. This gives each and every student athlete an opportunity to create for themselves. Well, the Westland native is referring to Oregon Senate Bill 5, The bill would allow student athletes to receive pay for use of their name, their image or likeness. The bill would also allow student athletes to make some money through endorsement deals, merchandising agreements and appearance fees. I've had so many teammates, uh, current and former, uh, who would have benefited tremendously from those opportunities, Grant said. Well, Senate President uh, Peter Courtney, along with Senator, uh, Senator James Manning Jr., sponsored the bill. They say it's about time student athletes get what is rightfully theirs. Well, it's unanimous with recent announcements from Eastern Oregon University and Oregon Institute of Technology. All of Oregon's public universities will be requiring COVID-19 vaccinations this fall. OIT made its announcements Wednesday uh, Wednesday afternoon and EOU, it uh, followed on Thursday. Like all of Oregon's other public universities, both OIT and EOU will require vaccinations for students, faculty and staff, except with legally accepted exceptions. We deliberated this decision at length, evaluated science and public health recommendations, and surveyed the EOU community to identify the best path to restoring a healthy, highly engaged community for those who work and learn on our campus, the president of EOU. Uh, Tom Insko said in a statement on Thursday. In a board meeting last month, Insko said that many students and faculty were split on the decision to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine, according to a survey. In that survey, the majority of faculty at EOU were in favor of the vaccine mandate, while the majority of students were against one. Well, ex-officials say that the State Department Uh, steered away from the coronavirus origin probe. We'll tell you more about that when we return. After this quick break, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, ex-officials say that the State Department was steered away from the coronavirus origins probe. Leaders were warned not to pursue an investigation into the origins of the coronavirus. That's former department officials speaking to Fox News. On Thursday, the concern was that a probe would bring attention to U.S. funding of research at the Wuhan Institute from which the virus may have escaped. Vanity Fair reported that officials calling for transparency from the Chinese government were told not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain of function research because it would bring what the outlet described as unwelcome attention of U.S. government funding into that research. Well, the outlet reported that Thomas Denino, a former acting assistant secretary at the State Department's Bureau of Arms, Control, Verification and Compliance, wrote in a January memo that staff from two bureaus warned leaders within his office not to probe the origins of the virus because it risked opening a can of worms. Well, multiple former State Department officials told Fox News that the reported memo accurately describes what was happening at State at the time and that there was an uh, an effort among some officials at the department to oppose an extensive investigation into a possible lab leak. 
In other developments, the Wuhan lab leak scenario could be complicated to prove even after regaining credibility. And House Republicans are demanding information from the White House uh, about the funding for the Wuhan lab gain-of-function research. In other developments, Washington Post has given President Biden's four Pinocchios for nonsensical claim that Alzheimer's patients will soon flood hospitals. And McEnany, she slams the media's Hunter Biden cover-up. They hid the story and influenced the election, she says. Bongino, he also torches the embarrassing mainstream media for covering up the Hunter Biden story and the Wuhan lab story. President Trump, former President Trump, appointed Supreme Court justices sided with liberals in a computer fraud case. Is that meaningful? Does it tell us anything about future decisions? Well, not necessarily. But three Trump-appointed Supreme Court justices sided with three liberal justices on Thursday to endorse a narrow approach on how to apply a 1986 law against computer hacking. Justice Brent Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and Neil Gorsuch, all nominated by former President Trump, found themselves agreeing with Justices Stephen Breyer, Uh, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. The six justices overturned the conviction of a police officer, Nathan Van Buren, who was paid to run a license plate search in violation of the police department policy and, according to the federal government, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. But um, Barrett, writing for the majority, said the officer technically did not access information he wasn't entitled to. Instead, he simply misused his access to information he was authorized to see. Therefore, the court said the officer did not violate federal law. Well, this provision covers those who obtain information from particular areas on the computer, such as files, folders, or databases, to which their computer access does not extend. Barrett wrote in the majority opinion, it does not cover those who, like Van Buren, have improper motives for obtaining information that is otherwise available to them. Well, the vote uh, breakdown pitted the three Trump appointed justices and the court, uh, the court's three liberal uh, liberals, rather, against the three more senior Republican appointed justices, Justice John Roberts and Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. In other developments, the Supreme Court is preparing their final push to release hot-button rulings amid retirement talk. And California will pay $2 million in church legal fees over COVID closures. Rand Paul is slamming Fauci's book as science fiction after it's pulled from store websites. And flashback, Ted Koppel predicted that CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. That prediction has come true. The Alaska National Guard rescued 12 from a glacier and a high-altitude operation, and a doctor working in a COVID-19 ward has been severely beaten by a mob after his patient dies. Well, hedge fund billionaire William Ackerman's special purpose acquisition company is nearing a transaction with Universal Music Group that would value the world's largest music business at about $40 billion. Well, Twitter starts subscription services in Canada and Australia. GM is lifting its forecast as the chip shortage eases and stocks uh, hit a record. Coinbase confirms the launch of Dogecoin. And Apple is working on an iPad Pro with wireless charging and a new iPad Mini. Well, the former official claims the State Department leaders were not told, were rather told not to pursue the COVID origin. And murderers in Los Angeles County are up over 95 percent this year. This follows a 2020 when violent crimes were already up 36 percent from the story, in addition to the 95.2%. Uh, 24% jump in murders year over year. The L.A. Sheriff's deputy uh, reported increases uh, of 40 
12.11% in grand theft auto, 22.40% in arson, 12% in aggravated assault, and 8% in forcible rape. It was almost exactly a year ago that the Los Angeles City Council voted to cut uh, the LAPD budget by $150 million. Well, Antifa again has attacked journalist Andy No. He describes the horror in disturbing detail on townhall.com. Meanwhile, some leftists didn't like Twitter, noting that Nyo is a journalist, so Twitter complied. And some self-proclaimed journalists are spreading rumors to discredit the journalist No. Well, California lawmakers are considering helping blacks buy homes there, calling it reparations so they can openly discriminate. They would pay for and own up to 45% of a house. The media remains silent about BLM's activists accused of sexually abusing 62 current and former students. From the story, the alleged assaults ranged from unwanted touching to violent rape of students as young as 14 years old. 61 of those students are uh, purportedly illegal immigrants or recipients of a, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. The new allegations come two months after the group BLM 5280 and past associates of Anderson's at the new defunct youth-led gun control group, Never Again Colorado, accused him of past sexual assault and harassment. Media reports about the accusations against Anderson 22 have barely scratched the surface. Well, CNN's ratings, as I alluded to earlier, have dropped. Uh, dropped them out of the top five cable networks. That's CNN. Fox News was a solid number one. In 2018, Ted Koppel said CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. Well, some workers quit as employees seek to bring them back into the office. Uh, from the story, which at times reads like it was written by an entitled 20-something, a May survey of 1,000 U.S. adults showed that 39% would consider quitting if their employer weren't flexible about remote work. The generational difference is clear among millennials and Gen Z. That figure is 49%, according to the poll by Morning Consult on behalf of Bloomberg News. Well, students are fleeing San Francisco as schools see their lowest enrollment in decades there. The story notes more than 1,700 San Francisco students left the city's public schools over the past year, a decline in enrollment that could get worse in the fall, resulting in an estimated $20 million loss in state funding. The district was already a mess as they were more concerned with renaming schools in the name of wokeness than getting kids back into the classroom. Joe Biden is proposing a minimum 15 percent corporate tax for companies that pay no federal taxes. However, the no tax hike Senate GOP is ready to reject with the counter offer offer rather. White House uh, tip, uh, has tepidly um, endorsed reparations legislation. And Mike Pence, the former vice president, has delivered a speech embracing the MAGA agenda despite the rift over the Capitol riot. A Biden executive order has broadened Trump's policy restricting investment in China, Chinese firms, and $2 billion in um, uh, of border wall money uh, sits idle in a bank as the busiest migrant area is left wide open. The U.S. has added 559,000 jobs in May, falling short of expectations. And on the flip side, jobless claims dropped to a pandemic low of 385,000. Well, the daily U.S. COVID case counts remain below 20,000 as the nation averages 1.1 million vaccine shots per day. Nevertheless, Biden announces new bribes, including free beer, to reach vaccination goals. 
This day in history, 1919, Congress appears uh, rather approves the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, guaranteeing citizens the right to vote regardless of their gender and sends it to the states for ratification. On this day in history, 1990, Dr. Jack Kevorkian carries out his first public assisted suicide, helping Janet Adkins, a 54-year-old Alzheimer patient from Portland, Oregon, end her life in Oakland County, Michigan. 1942, the World War II Battle of Midway begins, resulting in a decisive American victory against Japan and marking the turning point of the war in the Pacific. On this day in history, 1998, a federal judge sentences Terry Nichols to life in prison for his role in the 1995 bombing of the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building in Oklahoma City. 2018, the Supreme Court rules in favor of a Colorado baker who wouldn't make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple, but it is a limited decision that doesn't address the larger issue of whether a business can invoke religious objections to refuse service to gay and lesbian people. 2018, on this day in history, Saudi Arabia issues its first driver's licenses to women as the kingdom prepares to lift the world's only ban on women driving. And finally, on this day in history, 2019, the House votes to protect so-called dreamers and establish a path to citizenship for more than two million immigrants without legal status. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we'll take a look at, well, the lighter side of the news with James Blend. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we're going to share the Christian outlook. I hope you'll join us. Well, joining me now is James Blend to take a look at the lighter side of the news. Now, James, did you realize today is National Donut Day? Yeah, I actually saw that come up in my social media feeds this morning, and it kind of made my stomach turn, I'll be honest. <laughs> I know for most people, it's kind of exciting. You can get a free donut at Krispy Kreme, Dunkin' Donut, and some other locals around the area. But for you and I, we still have vivid memories of the show we did several years ago in which we tested how many dozen donuts. Oh, was it? Uh, you know, I, I had a, a picture on the uh, I counted 16 donuts um that I Wait, ate all like or more all or more it of from that like day from just that a picture time. that someone posted the other day on it on Facebook. Yeah, we on the show on a Friday, we uh, on National Donut Day, we actually tasted te- I guess taste tested um lots and lots of donuts. Some of them were better than others. We'll just put it that way. Um but you and I both just could hardly even say the word donut for quite a while after that. And even now, the thought of um, more than one donut is a bit much. But today is Donut um, National Donut Day. You don't want to miss the free donut opportunity that's available. As I mentioned, Krispy Kreme and Dunkin', as long as supplies last. And I think at least at Krispy Kreme, if you've been vaccinated, you can get two instead of one. Uh, Friday just got a little sweeter with this national holiday. Restaurants and fast food chains all across the country, they're giving out uh, treats for free. Uh, so you check that out when you're – I think Walmart is um, – also part of that. So if you happen to be out and about, you can check these uh, areas. Do you have a favorite donuts, uh, James? Um, as far as uh, type of donut or brand of donut? A type of donut. You know, I've kind of always been a bit of an old-fashioned person. I tend to, I tend to like just a regular glazed donut, although those can easily be too sweet for me sometimes as well. Yeah, my all-time favorite is applesauce donut. It's hard to find a really good one, but I think my second would have to be a maple bar. Uh, from my youth, they were available at elementary school, and I fell in love with maple bars, and 
um, we're still dating. So <laughs> that's I, that's among my favorite. Well, you know, the French, they tend to lead when it comes to gourmet cuisine. Uh, this story comes out of Paris. Laurent Veillette's tasting menu is not the faint is not for the faint hearted, I should say, but may point to the future of feeding a booming world population, which we just learned recently is not booming at all. So we'll just leave it at that. There is a, a prawn salad with yellow mealworm, crunchy insects on a bed of vegetables and a chocolate coated grasshopper. Are you in? Well, what won't they coat with chocolate from the insect world these days? <laughs> so this is a prawn salad with yellow mealworm. I was with them when they said prom. Um, crunchy insects on a bed of vegetables and chocolate-coated grasshoppers. Well, as sun bathed the outdoor restaurant terraces in Paris, Veillette's ornate dishes were winning approval and uh, nods and murmurs of satisfaction from his uh, adventurous clientele. It's the ideal dish for first-timers, he said, I guess for the faint of heart. These are uh, good ways to introduce insects to the, uh, the cuisine of the West because in many places around the world, they're already eaten with some regularity. The European Food Safety Agency in January deemed the mealworm fit for human consumption and in May approved its sale on the market. The agency was uh, has fielded more than a dozen other applications for insect-based food products, including crickets and locusts. Mealworms and insects most generally could offer a, well, a sustainable and low-carbon emission food source for the future. Dining with his two daughters, so one of Mr. Uh, Viet's uh, customers uh, gave his endorsement. I feel like I am in a traditional restaurant, except the uh, concept behind what I'm eating is different. And honestly, the taste is very similar to regular food. I think I'll stick with regular food, but that's just me. Who knows what will be popular in the future. Meanwhile, the FDA says eating cicadas could be dangerous if you have a seafood allergy. Uh, chowing down on cicadas, which are in abundance on the East Coast, uh, in this season, um, it's the latest foodie trend, but the government says the insect hors d'oeuvre um, isn't for everyone. The FDA took to Twitter Wednesday to warn that people with seafood allergies shouldn't try the buzzy dish. Yep, we have to say it. Regulators wrote, don't eat cicadas if you're allergic to seafood, as these insects share a family relation to shrimp and lobsters, which makes me think, well, maybe I do want to try a cicada. I love shrimp and lobster. Trillions of these noisy insects have emerged from hibernation for the first time in 17 years and onto plates of adventurous eaters. A cookbook called Cicadalicious was published back in 2004 when the last generation of insects emerged. Uh, It expands on the FDA's advice and warns readers not to be bugged out by eating the insects for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. If you've ever eaten a crawfish, lobster, crab, or shrimp, then you have already eaten members of the class of Anthropoda, of which insects are a part. So popping a big juicy beetle, cricket, or cicada into your mouth is only one step away, the cookbook advises. Well, a Maryland bakery, I think we mentioned it last week, has been inundated with orders of its chocolate-covered cicadas, and a Connecticut sushi chef is using the seasonal delicacy in his cooking, according to the New York Times. So are you in with the cicadas? You've lived with them. Are you now prepared to uh, make them a part of your diet, James? You know, you know I, I look at this, and I, I mean, it's a disturbing trend of eating insects that seems to be, especially chocolate-covered ones. I feel like what's happened here has, has been something along the line. We're all emerging from the basement after 15 months of being captive, 
And the first thing we see are bugs. And we look, oh, it's bugs. I haven't seen bugs in a long time. I think I'll eat one. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. No, the no, I will not. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I think I'll hold off. I have eaten, I think I've mentioned, it's not really a bug. I've eaten a scorpion. It looks kind of like a big bug. And maybe it is. I'm not even sure what a scorpion is technically classified as. But um, I actually enjoyed that. But I think I'll draw the line right about there. Well, a plague of ravenous, destructive mice is tormenting Australians. How's that for light news? Millions of rodents are infesting New South Wales. At night, the floors of sheds vanish beneath carpets of scampering mice. Ceilings come alive with the sound of scratching. One family blamed mice chewing electrical wires for their house burning down. Vast tracts of land in Australia's New South Wales state are being threatened by mouse, uh, a mouse plague that the state government describes as absolutely unprecedented. Just how many millions of rodents have infested the agricultural plains across the state is guesswork. We're at a critical point now where if we don't significantly reduce the number of mice that are in plague proportions by spring, we're facing an absolute economic and social crisis in rural and regional South uh, New South Wales, the agriculture minister said. Bruce Barnes said he's taking a gamble by planting crops on his family's farm near the central uh, New South Wales town of Bogangate. We just sow and hope that we reap. The risk is that the mice will maintain their numbers through the southern hemisphere winter and devour the wheat, barley, and canola before it can be harvested. Okay, it's not necessarily a lighthearted study uh, story. In fact, it's one I'm praying will not develop into a an actual plague, as they're uh, suggesting. Uh, but nonetheless, the headline, I don't know, seemed to fit. Ravenous, destructive mice tormenting Australians. Your thoughts, James? Uh, yeah. Maybe I do want to stay in the house for another 15 months. <laughs> maybe this this wandering outside and seeing the world again, maybe it was overrated. Not such a great idea. No, no. I think I'd just go crawl back to bed, wake me in 23. <laughs> well, a nine-year-old Utah girl and her four-year-old sister, did. they just wanted to go on a road trip. They wanted to... Um, they wanted to see the Pacific Ocean. They wanted to go to California. Well, they walked away from a head-on crash this week, soon after starting their journey, according to reports. The girls traveled several miles from their home in West Jordan, north to West Valley, early Wednesday, before they, um, uh, the underage drivers veered onto into oncoming traffic, slammed into a semi-truck. Both girls were wearing seatbelts, and no one else was injured in the incident. So, again, that, that drive to leave the house and go see the wider world is causing people to do things they might otherwise not consider doing. Hey, we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. We'll return in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend has joined me. Just want to give you a quick uh, look at next week. We're working on a number of interviews, but on Monday we're going to talk with Joel Malik. He's the author of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. It's an independently published book, but I think it's going to be worthy of a conversation. And then on Thursday, we're going to uh, have a, a, a conversation with David Horowitz. We thought we were having this week. He had to reschedule. Anyway, he'll be joining us on Thursday. The Enemy Within is the title of his book, How a Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. That's at least what we have so far uh, coming up next week 
on The Georgine Rice Show. Well, a mysterious message in a bottle that appeared to be from 1987 was actually a prank, according to a recent report. Christopher Nolan discovered the bottle in his mother's canal in Marathon, Florida, earlier this week. When he looked inside the bottle, he reportedly found the message, Dear person who finds this, I want you to try to return it to me. My name is Zach Williams, and if I'm dead by the time you try to return this note, just keep it. I put it uh, in the ocean in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. According to the local media, the note was dated May 16, 1987. Nolan told the station that he wanted to track down Zach Williams, and within just a few hours, he found out the truth. Well, in a follow-up article, uh, it was reported that the note wasn't actually written by Williams in 1987. Instead, it was written by Williams' son, Noah, just, well, last week. Similarly, the note wasn't thrown into the ocean at Myrtle Beach. During the Williams family vacation, Noah left the bottle in the same canal where Nolan uh, picked it up a week later. According to local media, Noah back tr- backdated the note so that it would um, seem older and whoever found the bottle would want to track down the owner after all these years. Well, Noah also used his dad's name since he wasn't alive in 1987. Noah's prank wasn't discovered immediately. In fact, Noah fooled even his own dad. Williams told the local media that when he was growing up, he and his family would go to Myrtle Beach and he even remembered writing a message, putting it in a bottle and throwing it in the sea. But this wasn't that message. The only thing that was odd to me was that we had just been in the Florida Keys last week, and I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it have been amazing uh, to have been um, to have found the bottle I put in the ocean all those years ago? Once he realized the message had been found near where he and his uh, family were staying on vacation, he said that's when he approached his son Noah, who admitted to writing the note. We laughed because uh, we could not believe what he had done had basically gone viral on the Internet and that people were actually looking for us. Williams said it's kind of amazing that a complete stranger that we don't even know puts a post on Facebook and this thing just circles all the way back around somehow to us. <laughs> but, you know, you can't believe everything you read on the Internet and for that matter, everything you read in a bottle floating somewhere in the Florida um, area. I mean, I would have been, uh, I would have been uh, a bit taken aback if I were the you know, the one that found it and you know noticed at the bottom, you know that that uh, you know I, I just saved a bunch of money by switching my car insurance or something like that. But you know, it, it's <laughs> you, you expect it to be some sort of publicity stunt for something. But uh, you know, again, when you've been locked away for fifteen months, I guess jokes like this are funnier. Yeah, I'm just amazed that they had just returned from a vacation. That's the part that struck me. Well, well they're in Florida, right? Yep. Well, that's true. You're allowed to vacation in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Haley Morencino didn't hesitate when she saw a large bear, and I'm talking about a large bear who had two smaller cubs uh, with her, um, facing off with her family dogs from the top of a wall in their Southern California backyard. Well, the 17-year-old ran outside and shoved the bear away and over the fence, then rounded up the dogs and went back inside her home in suburban uh, Bradbury, east of Los Angeles. Well, home surveillance video aired by the local television station showed the mother bear perching atop the wall, swatting at a large black dog on the ground. Two bear cubs had been seen behind the bear, while four smaller dogs barked and darted around the yard. Morancino, the 17-year-old girl, sprinted toward the bear, using both hands to push the large bear off the wall and picks up uh, one of the smaller dogs. She and the other ones uh, run out of the video's frame, but presumably into the house. Well, the bear disappears over the wall into the neighbor's yard 
Honestly, the only thing I had in mind was to protect my dogs, she said. Well, the teen said she escaped with only a um, sprained finger and a scraped knee, but wouldn't advise anyone to follow her example. She was only thinking about protecting her dogs. She wasn't thinking about her own life. Do not push bears and do not get close to bears, she told KCAL-TV. You do not want to get unlucky. I just happened to come out unscathed. Well, the 17-year-old... Uh, did come out unscathed, and her community, Bradbury, is a foothill community on the edge of the uh, Angeles National Forest, so it's not uncommon for bears to be seen, but not quite that close to home. Well, Operation Thou Shalt Not Steal nets a church theft suspect, a Florida-based group of Romanian nationals, stole $740,000 from hundreds of churches by taking donation checks from their mailboxes and cashing them. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement said, well, four people were arrested and two others were wanted in what authorities are calling Operation Thou Shalt Not Steal. Well, the group was based in Orlando, but traveled throughout Florida and other states uh, stealing checks, investigators said. In all, authorities identified 636 churches uh, that were victims, including 355 in Florida. Well, this low-tech yet well-organized effort to steal hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, mailed-in charitable donations at a time when donations may have been most needed has been stopped, says the uh, commissioner of the uh, Florida police. The group had numerous bank accounts it used to deposit the checks and then used ATMs to withdraw the cash. Arrested on Wednesday were the four of them, 33 34, 32, and 27-year-olds, all were being held in the Orange County Jail. Jail records didn't list uh, the lawyer for uh, representing the four men. The investigation began last December after Cape uh, Coral Police determined 24 Lee County churches were victims. Authorities said the group spent the uh, money on cars, food, and clothing and made high-value wire transactions to Romania. I guess they took advantage of the fact that we're in the midst of a pandemic and parishioners were not attending church but were sending in their tithes and offerings uh, to the churches that weren't manned as closely as they might have been under other circumstances, and they were able to collect those checks. But thou shall not steal, which is what the law enforcement called their efforts to uh, apprehend the culprits, was successful. Well, there you go. Wow. Yeah. All shall account. Yeah. Want to get away? Well, a staffer for U.S. Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, 60, surely wanted to summon his invisibility cloak on Tuesday night. This was actually a couple of weeks ago when he was caught on his hands and knees crawling on the floor during Holland's appearance on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Now, while explaining her cabinet position and the overall historical significance of her confirmation as the nation's first a Native American cabinet secretary, a man holding um, a camera equipment while on his hands and knees, entered the wide frame from the bottom left in an attempt to get out of the way right as Holland was mid-conversation with a late-night host. I'm sorry, Secretary, I'm going to interrupt you real quick, Myers interjected, when he spotted the suit-wearing man who popped his head up before quickly ducking back down behind a cherry desk as Myers called him out. You have a staffer who fully... <laughs> crawled on the carpet behind you and it is the greatest thing i have ever seen the funny man uh through a perplexed look told uh, his interviewee uh, she was confirmed as the 54th united states secretary of the interior in march uh sir you know you're behind the desk myers said uh, drawing the covert cameraman out from his hiding place okay thank you very much myers quipped 
as the man crawled out of view. <laughs> it was really quite funny. This is a formal interview, although it was, you know, Seth Meyers. Uh, it was a formal interview, and the Secretary of the Interior is being uh, interviewed and asked questions about this historic moment. And you can see this man who is dressed in full business attire on his hands and knees, crawling b- behind her in frame, thinking that he was escaping being seen. Well, not so much. Again, it was uh, it was pretty funny. That's why radio, uh, from my perspective, is the way to go. Wouldn't you agree, James? Oh, yeah. The, you know, the more and more we get uh, things like uh, cameras in studios and webcams and all that kind of stuff, the more and more I'm like, I got in radio for a reason, people. I got yeah, in absolutely. radio for a reason. <laughs> First of which is, well, this face. Uh, but uh, secondly is, you know, so I don't get caught taking pictures, let's be honest. Well, there you go. Hey, we're out of time. We need to take a break for news and traffic here at the top of the hour. And besides that, I have hiccups. When we come back, we'll share the Christian outlook. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.